Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending April 22nd, 2023. This week, Netflix proves that streaming still works, so long as there's ads. I'm Kim Hollis, way too amused by a baby with a robot that says no, no, no. (laughs) With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, ordering a Jorf shirt. But are you sure you want to order that Jorf shirt? Yeah, let me just check something here. Um, I am no longer ordering a Jorf shirt. (laughs) There you go. All right. Also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and now wondering whether this podcast is one extended prank. Wait, our special guest is James Marston? Uh (laughs) (laughs) This is the long game, too, like long. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burrell, who's totally not operating a fake David Zaslov Twitter account. 20% raises for everyone. Green light everything. And before (laughs) I resign, I'd just like to give everyone a heartfelt apology. It's on Twitter. It must be true. It's got a blue check mark, too. He paid the eight bucks. (laughs) In our deep dive this week, it's been a year since Netflix's disastrous quarterly earnings call. How are things looking? The big Netflix crash last year was a wake-up call, but maybe more so for the other streamers than for Netflix. It was only after the crash that Netflix started talking about launching an ad-supported tier and cracking down on password sharing. But this was also a turning point for the other services as Wall Street started focusing more on profits over subscriber growth. Within a quarter of the crash, Netflix was back to growth in terms of revenue and subscribers. And this week, Netflix demonstrated that it's steady as she goes. That's the right approach for them. They're doing fine. Yeah, I had to laugh the other day. They reported earnings per share. It was a staggering amount of money. I mean, it was almost $3 per share. And the first articles I read all universally said, Netflix reports mixed results. What? What are we (laughs) even doing? What's the purpose of a business? Why are you listing yourself on the stock exchange if earning $3 a share is a mediocre result? Come on, people. Netflix definitely has figured it out. And one bad quarter a year ago, people are still talking about it like it was a disaster. Yeah, it sucked. And their their stock price plummeted at the time and in fact has not recovered since. And it's it's nonsense. Netflix is not only profitable, they're massively profitable. And this quarter, they even talked about huge cash on hand reserves, which is something that David Zaslav wishes he had. Netflix is doing fine. But while the other streamers have slashed expenditures and canceled programming left and right, Netflix is chugging along. Yes, they've launched an ad supported tier. Yes, they're cracking down on password sharing, but they've done it all in a sensible and methodical way. At their quarterly earnings call this week, Netflix announced that the adoption of their ad-supporting tier has not been as rapid as expected, but they're seeing average revenue from these subscribers above $15.49. Why is that number important? Because Netflix has an ad-free tier that's $15.49. That means <laughs> subscribers... I would if I could. My God. <laughs> subscribers on the ad tier who pay $6.99 a month are actually more valuable to Netflix than people who are paying the higher ad free tier. And in fact, Netflix is incentivizing the ad tier now by going up to 1080p full HD and giving them two simultaneous streams if you sign up for the ad supported tier. They want that (laughs) ad money. That's amazing. Seven bucks, more than twice the $6.99 
tier. And they make more money if you subscribe to the $7 tier. Unbelievable. Yeah. Advertisers had been knocking at Netflix's door for years trying to get in. And when Netflix finally opened the door, it was the floodgates. Netflix has their choice of high paying advertisers, and they have picked the ones that they feel are best for their consumers, but also give them a lot of money. (laughs) While the ad market sucks for pretty much everybody else, you can look at financials for Facebook, for Google. It's just bad news all across the board for online advertising. Netflix is making more money on an ad tier than they are with their just ad free subscribers. It's, It's amazing news for them. Raul has actually tracked this in a very funny way over the years because he has been obsessed with the Hulu skinny bundle that they offer that includes an ad tier. And the bundle itself generally is cost between $60 and $80. And no matter what the price has been, the average revenue per user, the ARPU, has historically been 4 or $5 more each quarter than what people are theoretically paying for this. And this is why we've said all along, and Kim talks about this a lot because it's her vocation, this is where the money is. And so it is leading to some scary headlines right now if, you know, you don't like ads, which I don't, along the lines of have we seen the end of ad-free streaming services because there's so much money to be made here. This is the next gold mine, and that's why, you know, even David Zaslav is as stupid as his business decisions have been. He has prioritized Fast, which is free ad-supported television because he knows advertising revenue is the only hope they've got right now. Everybody wants this money. And we're kind of glossing over the important phrase here, which is their performance was below expectations. There's still an adoption phase to this that we're really just starting for at least the mainstream services. Once it becomes a full-throated thing, that's when the numbers are just going to blow our minds. And I think we are going to be seeing some interesting changes in subscribers in the next quarter. Netflix is finally bringing their password sharing crackdown to the U.S. This quarter, their subscriber growth last quarter wasn't immense, but it demonstrated that cracking down on password sharing in Latin America and Canada, while a little rough, still managed to get them new subscribers. They've ironed out those hiccups and it's now coming to the US. We're going to see, are people actually going to start paying for their own service instead of piggybacking off of mom's and dad's service? Or are they going to quit? What Netflix is gambling on, and I think they have the data to support it, is that people will willingly pay for their own service. And if they pay for that $6.99 ad supported tier, Netflix is going to embrace it. Yeah, so the current timeline would suggest the end of June. I'm not going to read a lot into that because the previous timeline was the end of March. We're saying toward the end of April. So they have run late on this. And part of the reason they're running late on this is not anything to do with technology. It's fear. They don't actually know how well received this is. There are some Netflix people there who have been there long enough to remember Quickster. Google it, kids. So there's always that paranoia about what actually happens next. And just on a personal note, I do want to say it's sad to me that Netflix is ending its DVD service. Yes, we cover streaming for a living. That's what we do. But, oh, I was playing the boys to men at the announcement of that. I definitely felt we'd come to the end of the road. It is a sad time knowing Netflix will no longer send DVDs by mail. I mean, remember, kids, that's how they started. They mailed you DVDs from a list you selected on the internet, Netflix, get it? And that was what they, where they made their money before they, they moved into streaming and it just gradually took over over the last, what, 15 years. 
though there was a little bit of a bad news for Netflix with some unfortunate timing. They were going to air a Love is Blind finale on the 16th. Now, that's not new. They've done that with each season. But the twist here was it was going to be live. And just last month, the Chris Rock special that aired live was phenomenally successful and had no known issues that we knew about. But this one uh, didn't go so well. They kept delaying it for first 15 minutes, then half an hour, then 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 an hour, just blaming it on technical issues. And then they had to put out a, a tweet that said, uh, well, yeah, we're, we're going to record this thing and release it later. So sorry, anyone who was prepared to watch it live. Not really great timing, but it didn't, especially with more eyes on Netflix in terms of investors with the earnings call, but it didn't appear to affect anything, right? Yeah, this was their second live stream ever after the Chris Rock one that you mentioned. And I, I remember mentioning it in the what's new in streaming. It's like, really, this is what they're going to go with after doing Chris Rock? And wow, okay, it failed. Now I get it. I do live streaming for a living and I understand that technical issues can crop up. And so they evidently ran into technical issues. The conspiracy minded among us might wonder if maybe something else was going on. And in fact, Netflix did not take a hit for that during their earnings call on Tuesday, where they said, yeah, we had some technical issues, but we sorted it out and it's going to be fine. And everyone just seems to have bought that. But I am talking about the conspiracy minded among us because Business Insider recently came out with a story about how the contestants on Love is Blind have been treated by the production company that does the reality show. It's a lot of bad news. It's about sleep deprivation. It's about lack of food and lack of water and lack of pay. And some might wonder, it's like, were some of the contestants going to complain about it during a live stream? And so they figured, ooh, better better not do this live. You never know what they're going to say. I don't know that really that's what happened, but I think we need to discuss the fact that, you know, once again, reality TV contestants are mistreated and abused by a production company and Netflix really benefits from the success of Love is Blind. Maybe the contestants should be benefiting as well. Oh, they really benefit. The part Roel didn't mention, 6.5 million people watched the reunion episode and... <laughs> It kind of makes me a little sick to my stomach. We're only now realizing we've always said love is blind just sounds like one of those concepts you should avoid at all costs. But the producers of this show might be evil. I mean, legitimately, there are things that have come out. They completely misrepresented one of the participants this season, acting like she was cheating on her fiance with someone else. It since come out she had long ago broken up with her fiance before she moved on to someone else. But the producers wanted a villain for the season and just didn't care if it was true or not. Little things like this, little things about the way they don't care about the mental health of the people on the show, it's all bad. And that's why when we heard that Netflix was having a delay with the Love is Blind reunion, we were kind of divided. Is this because of a technical issue or is this like MTV's The Challenge where somebody has shown up and been incredibly disruptive? <laughs> I actually think it was both of them and they just had two different really, really bad problems happening simultaneously. And to be clear, this show is produced by a company called Kinetic Content, but everyone's pointing the finger at Netflix now and arguably, yes, they showed the buck needs to stop at the company that's paying the checks here. I don't know that any of this mistreatment came directly at the orders of Netflix, but Netflix needs to deal with this production company. They need to address this. And so far, the, the response from kinetic content and from Netflix has been tepid at best. For a company that's benefiting so much from the success of this reality show, Netflix needs to really step up and make things right. 
in our rapid fire, Sega, the creators of Sonic the Hedgehog, have bought Rovio, the creators of Angry Birds. Raul, why are we talking video games? Because video games are the next superheroes. Sega's already seen cinematic success with their two Sonic movies, and Rovio was already on a tear with two Angry Birds movies and animated series before the company started suffering from uncontrollable growth. Sega, I think, sees future potential in Angry Birds and probably not just in gaming, especially in light of the success of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Everyone's going to be flocking to video game franchises, and Sega, I think, got in just under the wire Give it another weekend, they'd have been paying a few billion more for Rovio. Even a few years ago, I feel like the company was worth way more. So yeah, they jumped in at the right time for this. So it turns out the birds were so angry because they knew that their brand was dying. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. yes. <laughs> Rovio did go through an implosion, ironically, right around the time the movies came out. It was unusual, but they put out too many mobile games. Uh, they seemed to lose their focus. It was a challenging time for the company. The fact that they were able to survive as long as they did was a credit to just how much money they had banked. Sega actually got away with paying only $776 million for the mobile game maker and the intellectual property that gives them Angry Birds. I think we're going to start seeing soon enough that there's going to be more Angry Birds cartoons. There's going to be more Angry Birds movies. It's going to be Angry-er Birds. There's your sequel. <laughs> and we can't go a week without talking about Warner Brothers Discovery. The fight over South Park streaming rights is heating up. Raul, what's the latest? So as we previously mentioned, WBD is feeling shortchanged in their rights to South Park, which they licensed from Paramount. They picked up streaming rights to the animated series for HBO Max, but then Paramount turned around and announced they'd be doing a series of South Park specials for their own streaming service, Paramount+. Plus. This was further aggravated when the next two seasons of South Park only had two and six episodes, when previous seasons had 10 episodes. WBD sued and Paramount griped that they hadn't even been paid yet. Now Paramount is countersuing for the money they say they're owed. You know, I, I'm, I wonder what the most watched Acquired series was this week. I guess we'll find out later. <laughs> All right, Tim, before we talk about the ratings this week, let's touch briefly on the box office. Sure. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie, of course, continues to crush things. Uh, another $14 million on Friday, $390 million domestically to date, so over, well over $400 million by the time you hear this. But surprisingly, right behind it in second for Friday, Evil Dead Rise, $10.3 million. That had to be like its budget, right? Yeah, these things can't be that expensive to make. Even if it's just a, a big Friday and falls off on the, the weekend, that's a pretty decent weekend for this Warner Brothers movie. And it is not surprising at all, and I'll tell you why... There was a headline in February of 2022, and I will just read it out to you as it is. Evil Dead, the game, has sold over 500,000 copies, shocking even the publisher. There are a lot of people like Kim out there who love Evil Dead and will go see anything involving it or playing anything involving it. And not coincidentally, when you're reading interviews with Bruce Campbell and other people involved with the old Evil Dead projects, they've now built a Bible. They've got a compendium ready that shows all of the different characters they haven't explored yet. There's three books, not one, and they're just going to world build and world build because they see this as a franchise that has only scratched the surface. And numbers like this just reinforce that fact. Yeah, the budget actually appears to be 15 to 19 million, depending on the source. But yeah, it's going to come in with 23, 24 million. So that's excellent. And yeah, I can see much more of this franchise going forward. 
Uh, we also had Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, two point two million on Friday. Why is why are people still letting him make movies? Because the gentleman was awesome. That's why. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, this one's and this one's actually got great reviews too. So right. well, I, it's not geez. doing well though. But yeah. Yeah. Take but, your horrible yeah. takes to another podcast. Tom. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. But yeah, that's just Super Mario Brothers movies doing fantastic. Still, that's a good weekend for for Evil Dead. Nature is healing because it is starting to feel a little bit like the before times with box office again, and that's something we we weren't sure what's going to happen. We're only going to have three films that earn more than five million this weekend. Unless, you know, somebody just completely lies. But we are going to have a film cross 400 million domestically this weekend. And there are eight films that made a million dollars on Friday. And Tim, during the pandemic, that felt like that would never happen again. Exactly. Yeah. Some of these numbers, if you're like, wow, we'll never see these things again. And then things like Spider-Man No Way Home, Top Gun Maverick, Super Mario Brothers, Avatar, they keep surprising us. And I think we might have to stop being surprised. Right. And I feel like we should mention the fact that both The Pope's Exorcist and Renfield Last week's openers just fell off a cliff. Both of them dropped more than 70% Friday to Friday. So these are, you know, films that are not going to make more than, let's say, 25 million domestically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they're they just barely over 20 as well, though, is where they're going to top out. Because, yeah, they, they, did, they did drop hard after, okay, opening weekends. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the ratings. And we have some kind of exciting stuff happening there. Yeah, for at least least one thing. Uh, We have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, March 20th through Sunday, March 26th, 2023. And we were expecting this to be a big one. But yeah, your most watched show of the week is The Night Agent. 10 episodes, 2.6 billion minutes. That's going to be a lot of very disappointed viewers. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised by this number, but it really is like generic spy show central. Yeah, I know you, you guys said it, it fell apart towards the end. I think David's comment was it became 24 fan fiction. And I didn't mean that in a good way. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> after like eight episodes, 24 ran its course. Eight episodes, not 80. So I hated 24. Mm-hmm. If I am comparing anything to that and saying 24 might have been better, well, that, that tells you everything. We loved the first two or three episodes of Night Agent. Just loved them. And then, oh my God, what happened? So it'll be interesting, actually, because this is well, one, this is an awesome number, but it's also only three days. So I'm I'm curious if more people feel the same way, if it might actually drop next week after this people. So, oh, well, you know, it turned out this wasn't very good or if it actually may even crack three billion next week. Wow. That would be just I mean, you know, it's already renewed and there's a reason for it. Yes. Yeah, so we right. We got we got the renewal before we got these ratings. So, yeah, we knew it was going to be huge. But I'm curious if other people have the same reaction as you guys did to this. That's by far the biggest news of the week, but you know, there's there's a few other things to talk about here. Second is Shadow in and Bone, one billion minutes for sixteen episodes, holding pretty well actually. I know what I said about that show, and I stand by it. <laughs> there's evidently an audience for it, but this show is getting no marketing. Yeah, this is the type of performance that makes season three kind of a question mark. Like Tim said, generally with Netflix, we know pretty early now. If something gets a quick renewal or a preseason renewal, which does happen sometimes, all their metrics are showing it's outstanding. With Shadow and Bone, we haven't heard anything yet. And we need to remember that because there's a ratings delay of a month, they've had a month to look at the Mm -hmm. data and haven't announced anything. So I don't know about what the next number we'll see next week for Shadow and Bone is going to be. But if it's down rather than up, I suspect they'll cancel it. If it's up, I don't know. It's still probably on the fence. Third is The Mandalorian. 20 episodes now, 795 million minutes. That's actually down because we did see that crack 1 billion last week. Maybe people are agreeing with you, Roel. It's not as good as it was. Yes. Yeah, speaking yeah. of disappointed viewers. 
Yes. <laughs> it, it gets better as the season goes on, I think. Our friends at Samba TV sent us some data the other day, and it was kind of jaw-dropping. It definitely reinforced the fact that the audience is in decline for The Mandalorian. There is no longer the opening day, opening 72-hour rush to watch new episodes. Everyone's got their Baby Yoda merch now, so they don't need to watch the show anymore for their fix. We do have something else new in fourth. Waco, American Apocalypse, yet another terrible documentary series three episodes 738 million minutes premiering on the 20, premiering on the 22nd of march so yeah we'll see it again next week perhaps with an even higher number but yes yeah, it has yeah, terrible yeah. reviews so maybe not yeah okay good fifth hey love is blind 691 million, million minutes 48 episodes guess what this is when the fourth season premiered with five new episodes on the 24th tim serious question for you do you think the season finale will be listed as its own thing or do you think it'll be included in love is blind standard uh it'll be included in the show and we never know for sure since it didn't work but if it did would this have been like the most watched show for the week considering how popular it, it is when it adds new episodes that's exactly where i'm going with this just based on what we know of nelson ratings obviously there's a blind spot but 6.5 million viewers within the first 24 hours actually i think it was like within the first six hours i'm not looking at it right now i apologize i may have that wrong but it was a staggering number that definitely made me spit out water when i read it that's a good point that this one might actually be held down by the way nielsen tracks the numbers which again is as a reminder is only through televisions and not not through second screens yeah, so like it'll hang around for the, the next month. They always add episodes weekly with this one. There were five that premiered on the 24th, three more on the 31st, three more April 7th, and then a finale on the 14th, and then the live reunion was supposed to be the, the 16th. Yeah, we'll we'll see it here. We always see it every time it, it drops new new episodes. And I'm, I'm actually curious to see what happens now with that finale in, in a month. Sixth is you, 40 episodes, 579 million minutes. Seventh, hey, Ted Lasso, our one and only Apple TV Plus show, 568 million minutes for 24. Four episodes. Happy to see it hanging around for much of the much of the season. Eighth, Outer Banks, 556 million minutes, 30 episodes, three seasons. Ninth, Gabby's Dollhouse. We saw that return last week. This is when the new episodes were, were counted in there. So maybe they were counting something last week, or maybe people really were pre-gaming it. 383 million minutes for 51 total episodes. And hey, something new in 10th, Daisy Jones and the Sixth. This is from Prime Video, 334 million minutes. Uh, this was actually the finale. The show premiered on March 3rd with three episodes and then added episodes each week until the final two on the 24th of March. So this is just a three-day figure for the finale, but it does encompass the entire series, and that's why we didn't see it before. Um, things about this, but that's not a great number for Amazon. Certainly done better. Yeah, I've heard conversations about what is Amazon's brand, and by and large, you'd argue it's dad shows. That's what I've heard it described as. <laughs> Jack Ryan and, and other shows like that, I would argue that a show like The Night Agent would have probably been very successful on Amazon as well. Mm -hmm. Daisy Jones and The Six really veers off from that brand. And the fact that it managed to show up in the top 10 at all is about as big a feather in their hat as they can claim. I actually feel like they mismanaged this somewhat. I think that there were approaches they could have taken to make it more marketable. Let's not sleep on the fact that Riley Keough is Elvis's granddaughter Elvis's granddaughter in a music band miniseries is something people should want to watch and also I don't even know if Kim knows this or not Timothy Oliphant is in this as like a main character these are things people should know that weren't really emphasized nope didn't know that all right 
we have to talk about movies for, for a few minutes. If you thought last week was stupid, this week might even be stupider because the top movie is something called I See You, 542 Million Minutes. This is a 2019 film that starred Helen Hunt. Uh, All right, Raul, do you have ready the buttons that will bleep me repeatedly? Kim <laughs> <laughs> will confirm that when I saw I See You, I was so angry about it that I woke her in the middle of the night and ran it about it. And then I took her out to dinner the following night. I'm a horrible date and ran it about it again to her because I was so upset by the stupid of this movie which includes people who are transients living inside a home and the other people not realizing it is an angry angry script full of stupid and prior to that week on the nielsen's david might have been the only person to have ever seen this movie it's you're not wrong yeah i'm like wait wait you saw this in the theater because it has a box office of 1.1 million i don't think you saw it in the theater i think you oh, bought okay. it you or something it. oh okay okay yeah, yeah that was so. when i was still watching every wide release every year which is how i've seen all of these terrible movies that nobody has actually heard of and i can tell you that you know there are some that no matter how bad you think they are they'll still throw under that there's like 20 of them i've seen over mm-hmm. the last 20 years this is in that 20 it really is and of course, it's here because it came back to Netflix from wherever the hell it was on March 22nd. And Netflix said, hey, this is a new movie. You should watch it. And well, Netflix viewers are easily you know, led cheap. So this keeps happening. And I'm starting to wonder if it's done on purpose at this point. We're just going to put random movies in the middle of the month and consider them new content. Okay. Uh, yeah. And second is this dragged across concrete again, 476 million minutes. I refuse to talk about it again. But, oh, thank God. And third, something from 2023, The Magician's Elephant, 257 million minutes. So yeah, it's a not a great week for, for movies. Next week will <laughs> we'll be, we'll be better because when... You know, you got those two terrible uh, movies leading the chart and then a new release, 257 million minutes. This was an animated film that actually premiered on the 17th. So this is the full week. So that's not really great news either. In fourth from Disney Plus, uh, surprisingly, the only Disney representation on the list this week, Moana, 254 million minutes. In fifth from Peacock, Puss in Boots, Last Wish. Also coming in with 254 million minutes, conveniently. Uh, in six, something from Prime Video. Nope. Jordan Peele's most recent effort, 249 million minutes. This is, uh, yes, this is new to Prime Video, but not new to streaming. Would, would anyone like to fill in the rest of the blanks? Yeah, it uh, debuted on Peacock. We wondered if it would appear on the list at the time, and it did. So this is definitely a unique thing in that it is appearing a second time, but has never been on Netflix. Yes, rather than the, this is that whole universal deal that they have with other streaming services where most of them are with are with Netflix. But yeah, this this premiered on November 18th on Peacock, sat there for four months. It will now be on Amazon for 10 and then go back to Peacock. I wanted to be in the room where that deal was made. I don't understand. Like, okay, you get this movie for a few months and then we get it for a few months and then you get it back again. The real confusion for me is why like the third person in this conversation is still willing to pay for it. Like I can get the first one. I can even understand the second one. But after that, you know. <sighs> I don't tech prime enough, but I'm going to guess that when it arrived there, they promoted it pretty heavily because they don't often get uh, movies on the list. We've certainly seen shows, but not too often with, with movies. So they must have been pushing it pretty hard. In seventh from Netflix again, Luther the Fallen Sun, 233 million minutes. In eighth, though, from Paramount Plus, Top Gun Maverick, 219 million minutes. Woohoo! 
USA, uh, USA. Yeah, uh, I was off. My timing is off by a week, but I'm still going to call this the first noticeable impact that the Academy Awards have had on our movie streaming ratings. Best Picture, Top Gun Maverick. Yes, Best Picture nominee. Okay. Maverick, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't really had a lot of mainstream winners in terms of, uh, you know, best picture since we've been doing these these ratings. But I guess people remember, oh, yeah, Top Gun Maverick. That was nominated. We like the Tom Cruise. Maybe we should watch it. Even though a lot of people saw it in the theaters and it's actually been on Paramount Plus since December. And this is the first time we're seeing it. So we did only get the Paramount Plus ratings in the last month or so. Based on discussions we've had with family members, what probably happened was they tried everything everywhere all at once, made it less than 10 minutes, and then thought, ooh, I'll watch the Top Gun movie instead. <laughs> yeah, but it's hard to watch everything ever all at once on streaming right now still. Uh, something else new in ninth. This is also from Peacock. So, hey, two movies. Knock at the Cabin, 186 million minutes for the most recent M. Night Shyamalan film. It was a theatrical release earlier this year. I saw a bunch of advertising for it during WrestleMania. I do feel that the universal release strategy on Peacock is just now starting to pay off. There are ultimately four universal movies that I count on this list, but they're across three different streamers. Um, Right. (laughs) It's a little messy, but I think Universal is finally figuring it out and it's working, putting their movies on Peacock initially and then licensing them out to another streamer after a certain amount of time. It works for them. Yeah. And now we wrap up movies with the other movie you're referencing in terms of four universal releases, but this one's on Netflix, Minions, The Rise of Gru, 181 million minutes. Again, a universal production that was on Peacock and then moved over to Netflix. Acquired is 10 shows we have seen before. This week led by oh, South Park, 831 million minutes. This is, of course, on HBO Max, is even though someone's not paying their bills. <laughs> How about that? It's because, of course, the, the new season came out. Mm-hmm. So just logically speaking, why would someone know this was one of the most popular shows on streaming and not pay their bills for it? Do they actually not want people actually watching their programming? They just want them subscribing. Is that what it is? Evidently, it's a negotiating tactic. They feel they're entitled to either a better price because they didn't get the South Park specials or they feel they deserve to get the South Park specials in addition to the South Park episodes. And until they get one or the other, they're not going to pay. So we can add entitlement to all the list of Warner Brothers discovery issues we have. So yeah, a pretty quietish week. I am interested to see what happens with the night agent as people get get further into it uh, with the full week of ratings. And as sad as the movies chart has been, next week will be a little interesting because we should have not one but two murder mystery movies. Literally murder mystery movies. The you know the Adam Sandler uh, oh. movies he's making for Netflix. And I believe some of their very most successful films. So this will be interesting. In our green lights and cancellations this week, Netflix has given a green light to The Burrows from the Duffer Brothers, creators of Stranger Things. This supernatural thriller will be run by Jeffrey Addis and Will Matthews, who developed the Dark Crystal series for Netflix. I guess they finally figured out that they can't just keep doing new Stranger Things stuff. This will just be Stranger Things adjacent. (laughs) (laughs) Over at HBO Max, Hell has frozen over as Chuck Lorre is reuniting with Charlie Sheen for a new series. Yeah, Chuck Lorre produced Two and a Half Men, and eventually he had such a falling out with Charlie Sheen that they just replaced him with a different actor. But I guess money solves all problems. 
I was going to say, I think I hear the beeping of the money truck. It, it's, <laughs> it's not as big as a money truck because it's HBO Max, but it's still a money truck. All I think is that Chuck Lorre is going to one day Google all the things Charlie Sheen has said about Chuck Lorre, and then this deal is going to collapse immediately. This story didn't really cause a ripple in the media these days, which is just stunning to me because there was a period 10 or 15 years ago where it was the most incendiary story in Hollywood because Charlie Sheen basically said some anti-Semitic things on the way out about Chuck Lorre, who frankly paid for a lot of Charlie Sheen's hookers and crack over the years. I mean, with the, the money he made on two and a half men. Lori never had to work with Charlie Shane again. So this is just a stunning turn of events and just shows you what a nice man Chuck Lorre is if he can forgive something this big. You know what's going to happen is that Chuck Lorre is going to Google all the stuff Chuck Lorre has ever done in his life and say, oh, I did those shows. <laughs> Darman Greg, baby. <laughs> Apple TV Plus may be resistant to canceling shows after only one season, but it's not unheard of. Dear Edward at the streamer will be joining Little Voice and Shantaram as dramas on Apple TV Plus that you'd never heard of that won't make it past season one. You made all those up. (laughs) (laughs) Shantaram was actually supposed to be big. It was going to be huge. And uh, yeah, it it just, yeah, it didn't click. It was not. (laughs) But on the flip side, Ted Lasso star Hannah Waddingham will be doing a musical holiday special for the streamer. I bet she sings. I bet she does. (laughs) Disney Plus is done with National Treasure Edge of History after one season, which is one season more than everyone else. (laughs) I still need to finish this, and I won't lie. This really reduces my incentive. I think I've got three episodes. (laughs) In case it wasn't obvious already, Paramount Plus is all in with Star Trek. They just announced an upcoming movie, Star Trek Section 31, with Michelle Yeoh reprising her character from Star Trek Discovery. Star Trek producer Alex Kurtzman says this will be the launch of their Phase 2 for Star Trek. Academy Award winner Michelle Yeoh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we can joke about it, but I think it's really incredible she's doing this. She was, by all accounts, the first person cast for Star Trek Discovery. She is now even a bigger star than she was before. She has her pick of projects, and yet she is staying loyal with Star Trek. She had promised to do this project as a series a while ago. Obviously, with her current shooting schedule, that's no longer possible because she's now one of the hottest actresses in the world after 30 years in the business. And so the fact that she is honoring her agreement and doing a nice thing for people who gave her work at a time when her career wasn't in the greatest shape says a lot about who she is as a person. I love this. I do wonder about the phase two star trek thing though because i think most people would say phase one wasn't that great yeah yeah at the very least it was mixed right and galaxy quest fans rejoice as a series is in the works at paramount plus so one they're so in on star trek they're going ahead with the star trek parody (laughs) (laughs) two galaxy quest is over 20 years old and still holds up to this day. And three, if you don't call it Galaxy Quest, the journey continues. What are we even doing? (laughs) (laughs) I think this is going to suffer from the same thing that the Harry Potter series will suffer from on Max in the fact that it can't have Alan Rickman. So how good could it be? Aww. Yeah, Yeah, that actually ties into what I was going to say. And that if this story sounds familiar to it's not your imagination, the original cast had agreed to reunite on Amazon for a continuation series 
from the movie, they were pretty close to being ready to shoot. And I mean, they were going to have everybody back, including Sam Rockwell, for God's sake. And right about then, Alan Rickman's health took a turn and everybody agreed it wasn't the right time. And with these people in particular, you're not going to be able to line up their schedules very often. So the project kind of fell apart at that point. And I'm curious to see how they take the approach now. Maybe, you know, the children of the character or something like that, which is actually kind of what's happening on Star Trek right now. But... Tim's right. Galaxy Quest is a damn near perfect film, even this long after the fact. It is still incredibly funny. And in fact, I was just sitting in the car with Kim the other day and made a joke of, we got to get out of here before they kill Guy. That's a Galaxy Quest uh, <laughs> quote. That, I mean, seriously, you can hear it in Tim's voice. If you know what it is, it still makes you laugh right now. That's incredible. As always, we finish the week with what we've been watching, and I think we're going to talk about one show quite a bit, but I will say this week's Ted Lasso was perfection. It was wonderful. Along with that, I thought that Star Trek The Next Generation ended extremely well. I'm sorry. <laughs> Star Trek Picard ended yes. very well. Okay, yeah, I see what yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. It is I the see, next generation effectively, I see what you right? did there, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Jury Duty, which Tim mentioned in the Yay! previous episode. And we have watched the entire show, including the finale, which we wrapped up today. <laughs> it's just a fun hilarious show it's also quite wholesome in its way you've got this one single guy who doesn't know that he's in a reality show very truman show-esque and he is the sweetest human being and it really works james marsden parodying himself is just fantastic i've always been a fan i'm one of them one of those fans of his and um yeah i thought he was amazing yeah, they struck absolute gold with Ronald. And then I, I jokingly referred to him as our hero last week. And then that's that's literally what they what they call him at the at the end and how he's referred to in the script. They did exactly what I was hoping they would do in the final episode. The reveal happens basically at the end of the next to last episode. They reach a verdict, the trial ends, and then they actually put him on like the witness stand. And then the judge is like, um, by the way this isn't real. And you, you can just watch his head spin mm-hmm. as it's like his world is like collapsing around him. And he's like, what? And then it, it's explained to him. And the final episode shows so much, so many things behind the scenes and then just has him like asking questions about what happened. And it, it is, it was exactly what I was hoping it, it would be. It was so, so, so great. So happy. I love how they, they didn't anticipate his, his engagement with the case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they, they were like, wait, this guy's way more involved than, than we thought. And there was clearly so much that they, filmed because they literally took what three weeks to the film mm-hmm. and the whole thing is what three hours of show <laughs> right so, yeah right. it's oh wow just tremendous it made me so happy yeah for sure yes i'm sure there's things that <laughs> there's probably plenty of footage on the cutting oh, yeah. room floor but yes there's witnesses you, we didn't see just other yes. things like, yeah so yeah Yes, I do like that he took his job seriously. You know, we all talk about trying to get out of jury duty. I had jury duty in the fall, but (laughs) it's really, it really is an important thing that you're doing. It's you have somebody's potential future in your hands. It's actually not something to be taken lightly. So I actually rather appreciated Ronald's viewpoint throughout the whole thing. I'll go ahead and chime in. I loved it too, and I won't go into any more detail because we're kind of starting to talk out too much of it, but 
you should watch Jury Duty on Freebie because it is the kind of television we need right now. The creativity, the effort, and the kindness of it. Because we're talking about Love is Blind, which is just evil behind the scenes. This is the opposite of that. The people in the production booth were rooting for someone who is a real person. And yet in the script, they called him hero. And hilariously, even though he had no look at the dialogue, they were so good at anticipating what he was going to do. Many of the things he said out loud, they mm-hmm. had in the script and it actually crossed out. Yes. It's in the trailer where the one guy tries to get out of it by saying he's he's racist. And it's at the suggestion of, of jokingly at the suggestion of Ronald. And they, they then they were reveal at the end they had it in the script and like took it out because they're like no no he this 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 won't happen <laughs> and then they show the reaction of the producers when he suggested and they all just they just lose it because they they can't believe he actually suggested it so then they, they they put it they put it back in yeah and they they had to do some mean things to this guy that we don't find out at the at the end like at one point they had to basically leave him in his hotel room for the whole day because they you know sequestered the jury which i forgot at the end was actually because of it was james Marsden's fault yep <laughs> um that <laughs> So they could they could rehearse the scenes that happened outside the the, the, the courtroom at uh, at the restaurant in the fa- in the factory. So the, the poor guy, put, they put him through so much, but he he just rolled with it, and he was an absolute treasure. This show is just a, such a pleasant surprise. Raúl. What's been keeping you busy? Well, first, I want to thank Tim for bringing Jury Duty to our attention. I think we all started watching it just as it started exploding online, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people people really started noticing it and. Boy, am I grateful that I got to watch that show before anybody could spoil it for me. Just such, it's just so great. It messes with your mind. And I'm very grateful that Tim brought it up. I will say that I did meet one of my goals this week and I did watch Tetris, the movie on Apple TV Plus with my kids. And it was a lot of fun. Taron Egerton, who is a, a freaking chameleon, the guy looks mm-hmm. different in every project he's in, is a delight. Here he's playing. An American of Dutch descent living in Japan who comes across the the rights to the game Tetris and realizes its potential. For a movie that's basically about IP rights and contract negotiations, it is just delightful. My kids were riveted. They actually sat through the whole thing and enjoyed it. I will say the first third of the movie or so has some weird pacing issues until we finally get to the part of the movie where Aaron Erickson's Hank Rogers gets to Moscow to negotiate for the rights of Tetris. It's based on the true story. And while there is some dramatization, there are relevant people from history here that uh, you'll recognize. Uh, For instance, Roger Allman plays uh, Robert Maxwell, who was one of the big tabloid newspaper publishers in Britain. And he was holding the Tetris rights that Hank Rogers wanted to license. And as we discover, Robert Maxwell was not a very good person. And to give you a little bit of historical context, Robert Maxwell is the father of a certain Ghislaine Maxwell who we know of from some other shows that we've talked about on this podcast. I will tell you that I don't remember Howard Lincoln of Nintendo ever talking about being in a high-speed chase in Moscow, so I'm not sure how true that was, but it does close on a rather riveting climax. The Tetris movie on Apple TV Plus is going to be very entertaining. I strongly recommend that you watch it. 
Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingvoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash streamingvoid. Be sure to watch for us again next week.